you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. What it comes down to is we got to play with more heart. It doesn't matter what scheme we have. We could install the triple option in the bye week. And if our guys don't believe in each other and believe that they're going to win and play with great resolve and toughness and grit, it doesn't matter what we do in that regard. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting if guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing and uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. But at the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunchin' did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, doing good, Shane. Glad you're getting the party going here. Mm. And we've been brewing down because we had the latest edition of the college football playoff ranking, Shane. And, oh, what an exciting reveal it was. (laughs) The top seven remained exactly the same. Oh, yeah. And only one SEC team moved, so not a whole lot of, uh, not much going on here, Shane. So just run down the top few here briefly. LSU remains number one. Ohio State remained number two. Clemson, number three. Georgia, number four. Alabama, number five. Oregon, number six. Utah, number seven. And that's exactly how it was last week. No change at the top. And for some strange reason, Shane, Florida remains number 11. Even though they just mm. won on the road, you'd think they'd move up a spot or two. Teams jumped the Gators. Teams fell behind the Gators, but they just kept Florida number 11. Yeah, I thought they'd move up. Are, are they the first two-loss team, though? I mean, because I haven't looked at it. They're up there, Shane. Let's just say they're up there. I don't think they're in the running, obviously, for the college football playoff at this point, but certainly... They're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl if they beat Florida State, which they're going to be heavy favorites. And then last but not least here, Shane, in the SEC, Auburn ranked number 15. They're the only team in the SEC ranked in this poll that moved a spot. They they went down three spots after losing to Georgia by seven. Mm-hmm. Kind of strange that uh, we didn't see Texas A&M ranked, I thought. I thought this was going to be a weekend where they put them in. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. So once again, Shane, just the SEC teams: number one LSU, number four Georgia, number five Alabama, number eleven Florida, and number fifteen Auburn. Thoughts on uh, those teams? Well, honestly, I think it's kind of a joke. The Florida's not higher. Um, I, you know, I thought they would move up after this week, especially when uh, Minnesota lost and all this. You know, I just thought there would be a, a shot that they'd get closer to that top five. And I mean, because think about it, man, they lost to the number one team in the nation. Mm-hmm. They lost to the number four team in the nation, mm-hmm. and, uh, and gave both number games four- were very close. 
Yeah, absolutely. Gave them both a run for their money. So I, I would think that they would be a little bit higher. Um, and I mean, even Oregon, a one loss Oregon that lost to Auburn that, you know what I'm saying? It's just, right. I don't know. I, I, I think you can, I think you could look at these rankings all day long and it just, you're going to find frustrating things about it. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that Tennessee didn't receive any votes, I'm a little <laughs> upset, but you know, I will move on, but now, uh, you know, these these really are starting to matter. You know, the closer we get to the end here, the the more these rankings are, are going to play a part in what day these guys play. And and, uh, you know, it just it, I don't know. It's just kind of a joke. If you ask me, SEC is the toughest conference in the league. They should have if you lose to a top one or top four team. I, it just it blows my mind that you wouldn't even be a top 10 team. Mm hmm. And uh, I know you're not a big numbers guy, Shane, but I'm going to throw two numbers at you here. And these came courtesy of uh, ESPN analyst Seth Walder. He kind of works the uh, playoff predictors and stuff for ESPN. He was on Paul Feinbaum's show on Tuesday. He said the SEC has got a 64% chance to get two teams into the college football playoff, which is pretty pretty high. More like more than 50-50. And then how about this stat, Shane? This is pretty wild. If Georgia and LSU went out, you know, they're both in the top four right now, mm-hmm. and Georgia beats LSU in the SEC title game, SEC has over a 70% chance to get two in, and obviously those two would be Georgia and LSU. So, I mean, I, I know LSU is going to go into that game with all intentions of winning, because that's the only way yeah. to guarantee you get in. But, hell, if they lose a close one to Georgia, Shane, they may just turn around and play him once again in the college football playoff. It That's just going to be a weird dynamic there, isn't it? I just want to see three in there, Mike, just once, you know. <laughs> because, you know, it's going to expand. We all know it's going to happen. And the best way to get it there is that scenario, to have three <laughs> SEC teams in there. Now, would they put a – let me ask you, if, if let's say they did win out and LSU lost to Georgia, would they bump Clemson? Would they bump an undefeated Clemson for a one-loss LSU team, you think? I don't think they'd bump those teams. I think what would happen, LSU and Georgia would remain in. I'd, probably one of them would be number three, one of them would be number four. Mm-hmm. And then Ohio State and Clemson would probably – I don't think they're going to – I don't think they would bump – uh, an undefeated conference championship team for a one-loss LSU. But unless it's uh, a one-loss team, then then it's a little bit different. I think a team like Oregon or Utah, yeah, even if they won their league and LSU lost the SEC championship, I still think LSU gets the nod because they have such a strong schedule. Yeah. No, I like it. I, I, I love it. I love a little controversy here at the end, Mike. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, so we got some matchups here. You ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. My my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So uh, (laughs) I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Uh, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. And Louisiana.
he's in. Hold on a second. Hey, guys! Hey! I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you! All right, Shane, before we get into, you know, as promised, the Tennessee-Missouri game, I did want to make uh, one other note here. I don't know if you're familiar with the Joe Moore Award, Shane, but it uh, I really like this award. I'm not a, not a huge awards guy, but this one I like in particular because it doesn't go to a single player. It goes to an entire offensive line. Mm. So I just wanted to make this note. There's 10 semifinalists to win the award, and four of them come from the SEC, Shane. Alabama's offensive line, led by Coach Kyle Flood. They're a semifinalist. Georgia's offensive line, led by Sam Pittman. LSU's offensive line, led by James Craig. And then finally, Shane, this one, not really a surprise, but it was just really great to see that they're honored here. Kentucky's offensive line, led by John Schallerman. So I like to see the Wildcats getting some love there because we all know the limitations there, obviously, with the passing game, yet Kentucky's offense still chugging along, still second in the SEC and rushing. Yeah. Out of those uh, offensive line chains, we got some damn good ones here. Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Kentucky. Which one are you given? I know the season's not over yet, but which one of those offensive lines has impressed you the most this year? At this moment, I mean, it's honestly, I'm, I've got, I'm torn, and I kind of, I'm leaning more toward Kentucky just Ooh. for what they were dealt, and the, and the rushing production that they've had has just been unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. they literally are owning these games. I mean, they got lucky. Tennessee got lucky to beat these cats, and uh, you know these. These guys are owning the possession. I mean, sometimes it's three, four yards at a time, but they just keep eating them chains up. So, yeah, right now with the cards dealt, I'm I'm going with Kentucky. Yeah, I can't disagree there, Shane, but I will give some love to Georgia's offensive line. We pumped them up all offseason. Yeah. And despite some injuries, they've had to be a little bit in flux, guys moving around here or there. That offensive love- line has been outstanding. They've they're second in the nation, though they've only allowed six sacks. And the team leading the race, I think it's like Air Force, who runs a triple option. So, <laughs> I mean, that's not even a comparison. And uh, Georgia's offensive line living up to the hype, and you know, all all the credit in the world to guys like Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift. But the real stars of that Georgia offense is the offensive line. God, I'd love just to see Sam Pittman win the award. You know. <laughs> Half drunk with a cigar in his mouth, it'd be awesome. <laughs> Speaking of trophies, did you see? <laughs> did you see the Magnolia Trophy? It didn't get any love, Mike. You know. <laughs> yeah, for anyone that missed it, apparently uh, LSU ran off the damn field there in Oxford last week, and they left the Magnolia Bowl trophy just sitting on the damn sidelines. So, uh, who, I guess they don't give a crap about that piece of wood. You know what? No, no, it looks, I mean, it is so bad, Mike. It is. It's It's probably the ugliest trophy I've ever seen. <laughs> and nothing against magnolias. I think magnolia trees are awesome, but that trophy, whew, that's a rough one. I wouldn't want to carry it around either. <laughs> it looks like it's a urn, you know, like there's the ashes of somebody's body in that box underneath that flower, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there is. I don't know. All right, Shane, let's uh, jump on down to Knoxville. But we held off on this one because we wanted to wait for old Barry Odom 
And we actually got some Derek Dooley clips here to play in just a moment. But, of course, we're going to start with the Vols. And uh, thoughts on this matchup, Shane, because a lot riding on this one for both teams. I know Missouri obviously currently fighting the bowl band still, uh, but uh, they are a game away from even making it to the postseason, the same as Tennessee. So, you know, it's a weird way to look at it, but they're both kind of fighting for bowl eligibility in this one. And obviously Missouri's offense struggling. I mean, they've just been god-awful here the last couple weeks. Derek Dooley's got a lot to answer for. you got to be wondering if Kelly Bryant, I don't want to say he's He's probably not second-guessing his decision, but I don't know. I, surely this is not the way he imagined this going. I think they're using him a little bit more in the running game than he'd like. I thought the whole point of him going to Missouri was to air it out and just kind of show off what he can do with his arm. And I know he's been banged up, but uh, I think we hit on it on our Sunday pod that uh, you know Missouri's receivers have not even caught a, a damn touchdown in SEC play. Yeah. So these guys not getting it done. And then on Tennessee's side, I mean, their defense, this is the best they've played under Jeremy Pruitt. Give them a ton of respect. Uh, I think Daniel Batuli, he may be the best middle linebacker in the SEC. I think he's on his way to all SEC, all mm-hmm. SEC, if not all American honors. Uh, thoughts on this matchup, Shane? Tennessee, Missouri, it's probably going to be a defensive battle, don't you think? Could be, Mike, but, you know, it, I don't know. It's so Tennessee-esque if you, you you bash Missouri and their offense, just all of a sudden they're going to show up. Just like I bashed their defense last week, they showed up and sacked trash ten times. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that – I think Missouri is in a in a weird place right now. I, I think that they're, they're finally starting to, you know, get a little bit healthier on the offensive side of the ball – and uh, the defense has been looking better. They play at home. It's it's weird how how different this team is uh, on road games and and home games. So uh, you're worried about that as well. So um, I don't know. Is this the week that Kelly just puts it all together? Is this the the week that Derek Dooley you know puts the script together? Because you know what, he had a pretty nice one last year mm-hmm. when they hung about fifty points on us. So. Uh, I'm always worried about this offense just because they have weapons on this team to to make it a ball game. Now let me ask you about Tennessee's offense, Shane. Who are you starting at quarterback? I know, you know, it's been well chronicled. Our thoughts on Jarrett Garantano as the roller coaster continues. Seems like he's he's at a high right now, so that means you know the next fall could be right around the corner. You starting mm-hmm. Jarrett Garantano on the road, or are you going to Brian Maurer, maybe J.T. Shroud? I, I don't think it's going to be Shroud, but uh, what yeah. are your thoughts on Garantano Mauer battle? With remember, they have two weeks to prepare for this one. Yeah, I think I think JT's out. Um, I think this is Brian's game, and uh, I think he comes out, and but he's going to have a short leash, and Jarrett's going to be right there on the sideline. So if they go a series or two and and don't get the production that they want, it seems like that's been kind of the formula that's worked. You know, is bringing. Uh, Garantano off the side off the bench you know and just letting him do his thing you know and like we talked about in earlier podcasts I think it helps him you know to get rid of those butterflies at the start of the game you know so Mm -hmm. it's a win-win situation so yes I think they start with Brian uh but short leash but if Brian does take off then again I I think that's longer I still think we see Garantano at some point during the game, but it may be later in the game if if uh, if Brian's uh, connecting with these receivers. 
Now, I know Tennessee, you know, they were kind of banged up going into this bye week. I think that was a that was a big concern going into that Kentucky game. Could they even, you know, feel the full team for 60 minutes based <laughs> on, you know, all the, the dings that were accumulating, you know, leading up to that game? So they've had two weeks to prepare for this one. And obviously, you look at that and you always say that's a good thing. But it seems like here lately, maybe we've been given too much of a boost to these teams coming off a bye. Remember last week, it was Auburn had two weeks to prepare for Georgia. Mm-hmm. They went down. Uh, remember just a, a little while ago, Vanderbilt, you know, it was kind of the make or break against South Carolina. They didn't even show up. They got blown out. Uh, Missouri had two weeks to prepare for Georgia. They didn't even score. Ole Miss? Ole Miss had two weeks for LSU, and it felt like it helped, you know? Um, No, they, did, they didn't have two weeks. Oh, shit. Did they not? Mm-mm. Don't you lie to me, Mike. Who'd uh, they play before? Uh, New Mexico State. Ole Miss had two. So that's like a bye, you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> they, Sorry. Kentucky had two weeks to prepare for Tennessee, and they lost. So I'm just saying it's, you know, sometimes when you're on a heater like Tennessee is, I know you always want that bye to rest your body, but at the same time, missing a game, I don't know if that really, I don't know if you buy into the fact that you lose some momentum possibly. Any concern there, Shane, that, uh, you know, here, and particularly going on the road, you're not playing in, in front of a friendly crowd at Neyland Stadium. Any chance coming off a bye that Tennessee, you know, I'm not saying they're going to get blown out or anything, but maybe they've lost a little bit of that momentum. Well, the fact that you just uh, popped my balloon there, Mike, you know, <laughs> letting me know that everybody that comes off a bye loses, that doesn't feel too confident, you know. <laughs> uh, there's some, there is something weird about it, you know. I, I think that it, it's, it helps with chemistry, quarterback chemistry, you know, the way things have been working with these two quarterbacks. Uh, I think a, an extra week may not be a good thing, you know, just getting out of that, that game, game speed tempo, uh, you know, just the routine itself you know, uh, preparing for a ball game, something Odom talked about a few weeks back. But um, I don't know. I I think that Tennessee was in a pretty bad spot health-wise. I think that this bye did come at a perfect time because that offensive line was struggling toward the end. So I think it helps them. Um, And then you look on the flip side of the ball, Missouri had a very physical game against the University of Florida. You would think that would hurt things because I'm telling you, man, Kelly was running for his life at times. So, Mm -hmm. um, no, I I think the bye is going to be okay. Uh, What worries me more for Tennessee is uh, the fact of traveling uh, to Missouri because it is a it is a tougher environment. So and uh, you know they we've not done well times we've traveled out there. So this is uh, this is going to be a hell of a game, Mike. Well, here's one for you, Shane. South Carolina had two weeks to prepare for Georgia. Mm -hmm. They got that Mm. win. So it's it's not always. I'm not saying it's always bad, but just something to think about. All right, Shane, let's kick it over to Jeremy Pruitt, who kind of previewed this matchup, and specifically seeing Kelly Bryant, who he's already seen when Kelly Bryant was at Clemson and Jeremy Pruitt was at Alabama. Um, On Jarrett Garantano's hand, the latest with that. And then I thought this was also a good question on his team. Pruitt and his coaches, they continue to preach that these young Vols have not played their best football, yet they keep winning there any chance that kind of seeks into these players and say, hell, 
these coaches are full of it. We're we're playing our best ball. We're on a winning streak. So I really liked uh, <laughs> Pruitt's response here. Jeremy, is it as simple as just they've had the injuries at quarterback with the, the kind of the struggle they've had offensively the last few weeks? And how do they – are there any differences in Kelly Bryant at Missouri versus when he played at Clemson? No, I think, um, you know, when you, when you change quarterbacks, it, it definitely um, presents some issues. Um, you know, and there's very few teams that, that have multiple quarterbacks that can come in there and run the offense. I'm sure even the guys that are capable, it, it's different. So uh, we went through that a little bit ourselves. So, um, you know, probably turning the football over has had something to do with it. Uh, creating explosive plays uh, in the throw game. Um, you know, but if you look at, you know, what he's doing now at um, Missouri compared to what he was doing at Clemson, it's a little bit different offenses, but you can see that um, Missouri's done some things to kind of cater to, to the things that he does best. Jeremy, when you face players that, that maybe you went up against when you were coaching in Alabama, how much can you use that experience and that past of having gone against them uh, or is that not something you can really use because it's, you know, different teams? No, I think you always have to take in a uh, no, whole body of work. I think it's an advantage uh, playing against somebody. Uh, for us, at least, you know, we've prepared against them before and, and uh, probably have a good idea of their skill set. Um, the offenses are, are – um, different, but they are some things that they do similar. So, um, you know, you, you probably would draw on some of the past to kind of help create a plan. Is there any change with Jarrett's hand? Is he able to kind of do a little bit more now that he's had a, a week of not really having to practice as much? And, and how are you guys kind of approaching the quarterback uh, spot with those three guys heading into this Missouri game? Well, he's been able to do everything, uh, probably except clap his hand um, to take the snap. He, um, you know, we probably cut down on a lot of reps to to eliminate the contact there, uh, so it would reduce the swelling, uh, so he would have a better opportunity on Saturday. So he can do everything. Um, you know, we'll see these guys out here today, and and uh, the way we practice, they all kind of get the same amount of reps. Uh, you know, and we'll, and we'll see, and as the, as the week goes, we'll narrow it down a little bit uh, and probably focus on two guys. Jeremy, when you look at, uh, you know, you've said that uh, several times that you think this team's not played its most complete game or, you know, or, or, or a full game to this point. Do you think that the players understand that, you know, or do you run the risk of with a team that hasn't won much, they've won four times in five games, maybe they, they, they think they've played their best to this point? Well, uh, if if they think that, then they're walking around with blinders on. I mean, and we've showed them, um, you know, lots of ways that we can improve offensively, defensively, and in special teams. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure our guys understand that. That's one of the things that I feel like we've improved on uh, as a football team is just self-awareness. Uh, Know your limitations, know your strengths, know where you're at and where you're not. Uh, and if you know those things, uh, you, you, can, you can fix things. All right, Shane, so how about that, Pruitt? Uh, he's been dogging his team, it sounds like, all during the bye. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> on that matchup that I referenced there against Kelly Bryant, I know obviously it's you know, completely different circumstances because he had Alabama's players to work with and 
Kelly Bryant had Clemson's players to work with, but Alabama, Jeremy Pruitt's defense, they held Kelly Bryant to six points, the entire offense, two interceptions, no touchdowns. They really limited him. Uh, did that, does that give you any confidence that uh, Jeremy Pruitt, who's already faced this quarterback, already shut him down, that he can potentially do it again here on Saturday? Yeah, I, I I think so. I think what really helped him was facing Lynn, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. that kid is a, 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 a human joystick back there, and the fact that we were able to contain him as much as we did, and I, that's still, we, we, we bent, but we didn't break completely. But I think a game like that really helps uh, the mobile factor of keeping, you know, keeping your – that's the thing. You got to stay in your lanes with these mobile guys. If you if you get caught sneaking in, next thing you know, they're outside 20, 30 yards down the field. So, uh, I think you learn that when you play mobile quarterbacks like uh, like Bowden. You know, so I, I think, like I said, I think that helps. Um, and the fact that the coach is already game script game plan for this quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think it helps a little bit, but man, that was so long ago. And like you said, the different athletes, different, different things. So I I don't want to give too much, too much to that one. All right, Shane. So let's jump on down to the other side of this matchup. Let's jump on down to Columbia, Missouri. M-I-Z! Our old buddy, Shane Derrick Dooley, led Missouri (laughs) into football hell. The starting point is we got to not beat ourselves. You know, we, we, uh, continue to do some things that uh, it's not characteristic of us, things we didn't do earlier in the season. And, you know, there were about five or six plays out there where uh, we, we end drives and it has nothing to do with the opponent we're playing. You know, just making bad decisions, not being uh, very disciplined, controlling our emotions, whatever it is. And uh, those things, you know, when you're in a little rut, uh, that's, you got to start there. Let's let's don't beat ourselves, and um, so that's that's a focus. And and uh, you know, we're kind of in a little bit of a football hell right now. And it's that old saying: when you when you're in walking in hell, keep going. Right? What is it? When you're marching in hell, keep going. What is, what's the quote? I don't know the quote, so don't <laughs> quote me. Probably but but you got to keep going, okay? And that's what we got to do. We got to keep going. There were some really good signs the other day of us coming out and then we would just derail it making making some mistakes that we shouldn't make and so got to keep pushing on all right Shay. so how about it i mean last year i was singing this guy's praises i thought he did a tremendous job with this offense kind of missouri was kind of the where tennessee is now i mean they you know they were just so so to start out the year then they caught fire mm-hmm. Dooley really got a lot out of drew Locke and you know, I try not to be critical of the Golden Goose, as you like to call him, but I just like to point out the fact that, uh, you know, for all the Drew Locke accolades, I mean, I can't really pinpoint a big win that he led Missouri to, so I didn't think it was going to be that devastating for Missouri to lose him, but I think I've been proven wrong here, Shane, because, you know, kind of like Dooley says here, I mean, their, their offense has just been virtually non-existent for a month, Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts on what Dooley had to say here, and uh, how much is this on Dooley? How much is this is on Kelly Bryant, or or what are you putting Missouri's woes on here? Uh, well, I think it's all about Kelly Bryant, man. I mean, I think, and some of that is on Derek Dooley, I think, because there wasn't any adjustments. It felt like after Kelly uh, came up late, like once once he got injured, it felt like they didn't want to change anything. And if you watch this offense at times. 
I don't know. It just felt like it didn't have an identity, you know, it just like one play didn't lead to another. Like, you know, sometimes like when you watch teams like Georgia and they run all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's setting up that play action pass, you know, it, it felt like the plays that, that Missouri was doing was just just plays like he's just randomly picking things off the card you know that's what it kind of felt like to me uh you know and I think the healthier at Kelly gets I think the more Dooley's going to go back to what they've scripted the entire offseason so I don't know it just felt like there wasn't a lot of adjustment and I don't know if if it's just Dooley struggles or just you know the team can't do it if if it's not a hold you know mm-hmm for me, Shane, it comes down to Missouri's rushing attack because that's been basically what's getting stifled. Now, I know Kelly Bryant's been kind of injured, so I think teams are able to kind of stack the box a little bit more. Their receivers have not been making a ton of big plays. That's hurt them too. But particularly in these Tennessee matchups, Shane, over the years, Roundtree, Beatty, I mean, these are guys, and then Demarie Crockett, obviously, in years past, but he's no longer on the roster. But Beatty, Roundtree, got to get them going. I mean, they've been gashing Tennessee in the rushing attack in the years years they've met up here recently. That's going to be key, I think, for this weekend. If Missouri can run the ball on Tennessee, I think there's an outstanding chance they win this game. I I think, uh, given all that we've seen from Kelly Bryant, I don't think for whatever reason, I don't think uh, he's at the point right now where he can carry this offense. So uh, Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt might be wise to once again make Kelly Bryant beat them through the air. That's what he did when he played at Clemson, mm-hmm. and, and it paid off for him. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree with that. And that's it's kind of – you could say that about both teams. You know, Tennessee hasn't – you know, it was a tough game last week, but they kind of got away from the run. So, you know, it's just – You've got to have – both sides have got to get this rushing game going. If not, then the, it's just going to be a battle of quarterbacks. And these quarterbacks right now, they're hit or miss, man. Mm-hmm. Well, Shane, uh, let's jump over here to Barry Odom, who spoke on Tuesday about Tennessee. And I'm starting to figure out why Missouri does not really want to share much of Coach Odom's clips, Shane. I mean, he <laughs> damn near put me to sleep <laughs> with this one. So I kind of grabbed the best ones I could here. Uh, this is Barry Odom talking about Tennessee's quarterback situation and the fact that uh, Missouri is not 100% sure which quarterback Tennessee would be rolling out uh, on how realistic it is to block out the noise, uh, you know, given all that's going on at uh, in Columbia and the recent slide. And then, you know, Barry Odom was even asked about his job status, essentially, and he gave an answer. It kind of sounded like old Will Muschamp, the same thing he's saying in Columbia, mm-hmm. South Carolina. I don't know. I mean, you watch them. You watch them really all three play, and and um, you know, I don't know that they call it much different when when either one are in or any of the three two eighteen and twelve. You know, they they all have different skill sets. Um, I don't know who will run out there when they start it. Um, we'll get a. Uh, report on anything we can out of their camp later today and you know, I'll look through it but also we've got to be prepared to go play well and you know no matter what the quarterback situation is or who it is understanding what what uh, all three can bring to the table so you know injuries as you know the game of football it's going to happen like you mentioned everybody in the east minus Georgia's been through that and it's just kind of kind of whatever you know next year there probably won't be anybody get hurt you know what I mean at that spot just the way a year goes so 
Uh, anyway, we've got to prepare for all three and anticipate that uh, being, the, being the thing that happens on Saturday night. Oh, I know. It, it's very unrealistic. I mean, they hear and see and read and listen. Um, you know, everything. That's that's human nature. And you know, the thing that I've learned is make sure that that I address and we address as an organization. Go back on the base values and foundation of who we are, and that's got to override the amount of work that they put in. That's got to override all the other stuff. And uh, you know, the more that you listen to it, good or bad. Uh, it takes away your preparation, so that's why I keep talking about that. That it does, you know, the the weight of of the news, um, you know, whether you're playing really good or really bad, you know, it doesn't really do you any value. But also, I know it's there. I mean, they, you know, the guys read stuff. You know, you can read whatever you want with a click of the button. So, no, uh, I, I, Jim and I meet along with Nick, uh, Joe. We meet every Wednesday, and we talk about a number of things. That's just the standing thing that we do relationship wise with with you know the head football coach and athletic director and sport administrator and I look at the body of work that we've done you know at this point with two games left in year four we've won more games in four years than any any coach since I think Warren Powers in four year time they're the first four years the grade point average on what we produce the graduation rate all those things I know the body of work on what we've done do I wish we would have won more up to this point? Absolutely. So does everybody else. Um, we know the foundation and the culture of the locker room that we have. I'm proud of that. I'm at, I'm at uh, a really good spot on knowing what we've got in the staff room, what we got in our locker room, and what we can do uh, here over the next two weeks or ten days and what that's going to springboard us into next year. All right, Shane. So once these coaches start breaking out, yeah, I know. Hey, I hate you know, this. <laughs> I've won more games and so and so and yada yada yada. Uh, that's when you know you're in trouble because, yep. Like I said with Muschamp, Shane, it's not about what you've done; it's the direction you're going. So you know, based on these comments, I know I, I still don't think they're going to get rid of Barry Odom because of this whole, you know, bowl sanctions deals and all that. I, I think that just throws such a wrench into a season and him and his coaching staff were not involved in that. So I think he'd give him a little bit of a break here, but it certainly sounds like uh, he's facing some kind of heat up here in Missouri, doesn't it? Do you know how many years we've had the Magnolia trophy, Mike? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Oh, get out of here. You don't have to do this, Barry. We know, you know, we know what Missouri was before they had Odom. You know, are they having a bad year? Absolutely. Is it where they want to be? Absolutely not. You know, the fact that they haven't established, I mean, we know that the bowl ban is probably not going to be lifted at this moment, but the fact that they're not even bowl eligible, that's the embarrassing part. And you don't need to come out there and fluff your, your resume. I mean, we know. And I, I don't know if he's listening to press clippings. I don't think it has anything to do with the AD. I don't know if there's that much heat up there. Have you heard anything? No, I haven't, which I was kind of surprised with these comments, but I know a lot of fans are very frustrated with them. A lot of them mm. questioning Barry Odom as a coach where, you know, it wasn't that long ago they were extending this guy, and he's one of the lowest paid in the SEC. I believe he's like 12th, 12th out of 14th, so it's not like they're paying him a ton either. So right. I don't know. I, I think 
I mean, this may sound bad, but for what you're paying them, I think you're getting a good deal. You know what I mean? So uh, I mean, they're not one of the worst teams. I know, obviously, they, they're playing kind of like it right now, but I don't know. I, th- I think he's done enough to where we don't necessarily need to be putting him on the hot seat at this point. But uh, it is kind of disturbing the fact that uh, once Drew Locke left, he kind of had to go to that transfer market and – you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do at quarterback position when Kelly Bryant leaves because I think it might be more of the same based on what we saw from the backup quarterback there in, in against Georgia. And when he said uh, GPA and graduation rate, I mean, there's a reason they're not bowl eligible, Mike, because <laughs> they had somebody doing their work. <laughs> is, it, is it too soon? <laughs> that was That's a good point, Shade. I did not think of that one. Oh, man, it's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> all right shane you ready to uh jump on down to nashville yeah let's 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 talk about this dumpster fire for a minute shane you hear what's that noise what is that mike it sounds like a hot seed oh my god we're burning alive Hot, real hot. Hot things is my shorts. I can cook things in it. Little clutch, clutch cooking. Well, can you tell me what it feels like? Ooh, what is hot? I told you again. When you're born on the sun, it's damn hot. All right, Shane. So it's kind of weird that we intro it with a hot seat because out comes Vanderbilt's AD, Malcolm Turney, released a statement here on Tuesday. I'm going to read you this statement here. I want to make it very clear that Derek Mason will be our head football coach moving forward. Coach Mason has my full support, and I am committed to working with him to ensure our football program has the necessary resources and support to succeed. So they've anchored down, Shane. They're fully on board with Mason, and I know they just did this big spiel, and they just released a statement, but then again, Shane, I continue to say this, and I will not be stunning. I mean, I'm not trying to tip my hand on the picks here, but – yeah. If they find a way to lose at home to ETSU, I think Derek Mason will be gone, you know, by the season's end. So take take that for what it's worth. Got to win this ETSU game. And when when we're in year six, Shane, saying ETSU is make or break, uh, I think this seat is is still hot despite the statement. What are your What are your thoughts on Vanderbilt's commitment here to Derek Mason? Uh, First off, a couple things. Uh, I don't think ETSU is the game. Um, even if they, I think they win uh, that game. And I'm, again, I'm not going to tip my hat, but I just did. If uh, <laughs> I, I, I think they do, I think they do a little bit of a rally. I won't get into the point spread on it, but I will say this, Mike. I don't think it comes down to that game. I think it comes down to the week after that one if they lose. And I know Tennessee's a tall glass of water right now for the season that they had, but. I think that's where they're at. You know, that's the only way you can salvage this horrible, horrible season. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I've been following college football for a long time, just as long as you have, Mike. And every time that you have a two-win team and your athletic director's coming out saying they back the coach, guess what? They aren't backing that coach. They are going to fire that coach at the end of the season. I mean, more times than not, that is just something you say – during the season because you don't want to deal with it. But I'm telling you, at the end of this season, Mason is on the hottest of hot seats right now, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. And it really sucks because Vanderbilt, you know, they come out and they say they got their support, anything they'll do. You know, that's not true, man. Vanderbilt is handicapped. 
You know what I'm saying? You, you've got Missouri, they're coming in, expanding their stadium. you got Texas A&M, got the damn highest paid coach, you know, or, or the, the largest contract ever written, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and here we got Vanderbilt's been in there for year, decades, and they're not doing it, man. They're not keeping up. And at some point, do you think they'd say, you know, enough's enough? If you're not, do, do you think they ever force Vanderbilt's hand? Yeah, I certainly think. You know, they're taking steps in that direction. But I think the real thing is the the new athletic director, you know, he's not been on the job that long. And I think he's just really trying to figure out what Vanderbilt needs in terms of facilities and support and potential stadium renovations and all that. I think he really wants to get ahead of that, all that, because that's it's such a huge mess and ordeal at Vanderbilt. And then to just throw out another coach on top of it, it, it almost seems like they'd rather, you know, clear the path towards success. And if Derek Mason's not that guy, go out and get a guy, and then you can point to all these things you've done to show where the program's headed. Mm-hmm. That's my read on it. I got you. So he's kind of like a, I don't know. It's kind. You remember Auburn did this? The new AD came in, and we thought – you know, he, he kind of had a little cushion for his job. You know, he made some mistakes. And maybe Vanderbilt's the same way, you know. He doesn't want to fire Mason just right now. If he sees improvement toward the end of the season, he bought himself another year as an athletic director. So, I don't know. Interesting developments up there. I just – some of the th- – when you have these guys coming out, just like South Carolina – you know, when there's smoke, man, there's usually fire. And uh, and when these guys are coming out and saying, oh, no, no, he's good. We're good. We love the guy, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's more times than not at the end of the year, it's like, oh, no, no, we didn't want him. We, we're getting a ball coach now, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, let's kick it over to Derek Mason, Shane, who talked about Vanderbilt, you know, publicly committing to him to return for the 2020 season on the resources that he believes Vanderbilt needs to compete in the SEC. And then finally, this guy, credit this report. I, I'd give him a shout out if I knew who it was that asked the question, but I thought it was a really great question. Before the season, Derek Mason, you know, touting this as his best roster overall, and yet this is his worst damn team. Uh, mm-hmm. Mason kind of had to, I don't think he handled this one that well. Derek Malcolm this morning said he wants you to be part of the future and planning the facilities and resources and all that. What was your reaction to seeing that uh, the confidence that he's putting into you for next season? Well, I definitely appreciate uh, the support of Malcolm Turner um, in this university. Uh, when you look at uh, where we are, uh, that's not where we want to be. Um, and the standard is higher. We understand that. Uh, and we're going to you know, continue to, to work and grind. I mean, there's there's football left in this season, and so for us, man, we got to be squarely focused on where we're at. But, you know, to 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 hear uh, to publicly, uh, you know, have a statement go out um, and about you know where I sit, uh, and right now in terms of you know in our season and and, and what we're doing, uh, you know, it's a strong statement of support, and you know, I thank you. Malcolm said, Vandy coaches have not had resources in decades, and they need resources to compete. What do you think is needed? What's missing the most that you need to, to help you to compete? Well, there, there, there's a lot of factors in that. But, you know, when you look at it, uh, recruiting, you know, in terms of where we're at, you talk about facilities, you talk about uh, recruiting, you talk about, uh, you know, understanding, you know, who we are and, and making sure that we resource ourselves, 
you know, properly, man, man, to give us our best chance to be our best Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, Vanderbilt looks different, uh, you know, than the, the other teams in this conference. And so just uh, partnering, you know, in a collaborative effort, man, to make sure man, that we can, we can find our best Vanderbilt and make sure that we push it forward. You had said before the season it was your deepest, your most talented team. Your yeah. back room was the best it's ever been. Yeah. How do you reconcile that with what you said after the game? Well, I don't, I, what I say is this. I mean, I mean, that's what I felt coming into the season. You know, I mean, you look at it and what you try to do is patch, patch holes. You know, I, mean, I felt like we had three really good offensive players coming back and that gives you strength. I thought we had, uh, you know, a, a, a good shot at, at, at having a little depth on the offensive line. Uh, we went out and got some grad transfers to, to, to plug some holes. And with that, man, you feel good about what you look like going into camp. Uh, you know, very shortly as we got into camp and got into the early part of the season, you know, between in, uh, between injuries, between uh, you know, guys guys not necessarily performing, uh, you know, up to expectation, you know, man, some of that goes away. I don't think anybody goes into the season saying, "Well, man, we're going to be terrible." I think what you go into the season with is some optimism, and I went into the season with optimism, um, and it hasn't turned out that way, you know, man. And I take full responsibility for that, and we keep moving. All right, Shane. So. Thoughts on all that, Shay? I mean, I thought that was a great question there at the end. You know, you say this is your best squad and everything, but the results don't show it. Uh, I think that's um, that's the biggest, you know, indictment of Coach Mason right now at Vanderbilt. Yeah. You remember when I was so confident about uh, Florida beating Auburn? You remember that one? Yeah. And I even I – even, no, Auburn beating Florida. That's what it was. I was so confident Auburn beating Florida that I doubled down on the spread. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think I think Mason had that same aha moment when he had SEC media days. He said, you know what? I'm going to go down a day early so that I can talk. Because if you remember, he was bragging about it. He went down there a day early to talk to make sure he talked to everybody up Radio Row to make sure that everyone knew what Vanderbilt was bringing this season. He made his bet. He doubled down, Mike, mm-hmm. and it bit him bad. <laughs> you know? I mean, when you do that and then you drop some of the games you did and your offense production is as garbage as it's been at times, I mean, he I mean, he did this. And, and I've been there, man. Trust me, Mason, I've been there. I have doubled down before. I've lost a lot of money gambling this year, <laughs> and I get it. But, you know, you got shooters got to shoot their shot, Mike. Last thing on Vanderbilt, Shane, I just thought this was pretty interesting. I know it's a ways out here, but uh, Vanderbilt and Virginia Tech have announced a new um, two-game series, Shane, and it's not necessarily going to be a home-and-home. In 2025, Vanderbilt will travel to Virginia Tech, but the year before, 2024, Virginia Tech is traveling to Nashville, and they're going to play in Nissan Stadium where the Titans play. Mm. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, and it just gave me an idea, Shane. I know there's – I don't know how serious these talks are, but there's been talks that Tennessee Titans may either build a new stadium or renovate the one they've got. And what about instead of Vanderbilt throwing a ton of money into a new stadium because there's not even room anywhere to put it? I think they should just play football, their football games wherever the Titans play. And I think, um, I think that would be the smartest way to go about it. Wouldn't be bad. Wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, I don't know how the – I mean, I've seen you see teams do this. Doesn't Pitt and uh, Pittsburgh do that? Yeah, you know? yeah, that's kind of where I got the idea. 
Okay, I like it. So I think it could happen, but... And you could use their facilities. I think that would help you a little bit in recruiting. And, you know, Nashville is such a growing city. There's just there's just not really room for, you know, two major stadiums and two major parking lots. I, I think it just solves a lot of problems if you kind of combine them into one. I think, I think that would be a solution. I don't know if the Titans would be interested in it at all, but I think that's something that could really help Vanderbilt. And it would, uh, you know, they wouldn't have to shoulder the vast majority of of how much that, the cost there, I would think. Dude, Vanderbilt, what it boils down to, Vandy's got to open up the pocketbook, you know. They have got to just make an effort to keep up with the other teams in the SEC. And once they do that and they start, I mean, because they've got a ton of money there. Mm-hmm. It's in a fantastic location. I mean, seriously, it could be an absolute juggernaut of a program if they would commit to it. But they never will, Mike. I just don't think it's ever going to happen. Let's jump on down to the other Columbia, Columbia, South Carolina. Wait a second, Shane. Oh, no. Do you hear that? (laughs) Is it coming? Sounds like a hot seat. Oh, my God, we're burning alive. Hot, real hot. Hotter things is my shorts. I can cook things in it. Little clutch pot cooking. Well, can you tell me what it feels like? Ooh, what is hot? I told you again. When you're born on the sun, it's damn hot. All right, Shane, I wanted to do this one after Mason because this hot seat's about twice as hot. We got the damn administration coming out supporting Will Muschamp. It's his worst year in Columbia. You know, we've discussed it at length, so no need to. We all know the situation down there, but. Man, this is just getting weirder and weirder, Shane. And uh, this this latest news on Monday evening, they came out and had apparently admitted, in a, according to the Greenville News and the Florence Morning News, two publications, Shane. General Bob, the U.S. Uh, the South Carolina president, J- Bob Caslin, was asked, "Hey, j- did you reach out to Florida State?" and asked them how they managed their buyout when they just fired Willie Taggart. And he said no. That's the correct answer, Shane, right? Uh-huh. But then he followed it up with, but our athletic director did. <laughs> 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 what are you doing? Oh. And then he came out and says, let me uh, you know, set the record straight. We support Will Muschamp. He, he did add that note there, but uh, what in the hell is that worth? And then and he later come out after these publications – had noted that uh, he had said this. He said, let me set the record straight. Ray Tanner, the AD, did not speak to anyone at Florida State about the coaching contracts. And then these two publications turn around and say, they published the audio. Here's you fucking saying you did it. And apparently General Bob says, and this is even worse, Shane, Florida State, obviously they had the money to fire Willie Taggart. They already did it. And General Bob here says... They have a lot more money in their endowment than we do. I know that for a fact. So basically, what again, what that says is, you know, we asked them about the buyout. We, they asked, you know, we found out about their money. They just got more money. They can they can afford to fire a coach, and that kind of says to me that they don't have the money to fire Muschamp. He's got an eighteen point six million dollar buyout right now. So mm-hmm. I think it's uh, it boils down to money, and I think Will Muschamp is. Definitely coming back because, well, for one, General Bob says it there. They just don't have the money to fire him. 
What do you make of this? This is just a weird situation. Can they get like a cash advance from from the <laughs> SEC? <laughs> Uh, catch you up on the fifth, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a hot mess, man. And I told you this 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 thing is like one rogue airplane away from being Tennessee 2.0. You know what I'm saying? It's I mean, next thing you're gonna know, Tanner's gonna be on the on the on the company dime flying out to Washington to see Coach Leach. You know, that's what it feels like <laughs> is coming next. So I don't know, man. We're just going to watch how this thing unfolds, and it could not. I mean, it, it, it may be a money thing, and they just cannot afford to do it. But you know, we discussed there are some, there's some, there's some coaches out there that they can hire for cheap that do have the flash, that do have potential to keep these recruits flying in, and that's what's kind of crazy during this whole situation. Even the, even though you know all these. Uh, these rumors and 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 things are floating around mm-hmm. recruiting still going man you know what i'm saying recruiting's looking pretty strong here toward the end so does that change i don't know man but you know they're gonna have to have somebody lined up to come in yeah i mean it's just a credit to will muschamp for being able to recruit through this right now because yeah. I mean, how are you preparing your team for Clemson, too, when you're hearing all this garbage? So nothing else, Shane. These administrators at South Carolina, they're not doing Muschamp any favors when they're trying to decide what to do with them. And I think that's the worst because, hell, if they're going to keep them, they need to just keep their damn mouth shut when it comes Mm -hmm. to all this publicity. I I have no idea what they're thinking with this one. No, these guys, and I don't know if it's because they don't have the camera in their face all the time, like, you know, Muschamp, Muschamp knows how to handle media, mm-hmm. and but South Carolina media is tricky, dude. I'm telling you, they <laughs> they ask the hardest daggone questions I've ever heard in my life. You know, I'd hate to be a coach down there or an athletic director because you know it won't be long. Larry King gonna come in there and get the question you weren't expecting, and the next thing you know, you're on your heels. You know, we got the tape. He wasn't expecting them to have the tape. Boy, they got some they got some serious investigators down there, man. They're going to have plane trackers and everything before you know it, Mike. I'm telling you, Tennessee 2.0. <laughs> All right, Shane, let's jump on down to the plains. War damn eagle. Where Gus Malzahn, you know, they, they've got a big one this week, Shane. They're playing Sanford. Do you hear that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Gus Malzahn quite on the hot seat, although it sure does seem like half the damn fan base wants him out, so... I mean, he's got to navigate his own issues right now. But, uh, you know, we're not going to break down this game much because what the hell's the point? They should win this one by about 50. But uh, let's jump over to Gus Malzahn, Shane, who was asked about his offense against Georgia, throwing the ball 50 times, mm-hmm. <laughs> which we kind of noted on our Sunday show. What in the hell were they thinking there? on the fact that uh, his offense seems to really get going when it's running the two-minute offense, so why are they not running that more? I don't know if you know this, Shane, but damn, Gus Malzahn, when he was in high school, he wrote a book on how to run an effective offense, and it, <laughs> it essentially was just run the two-minute offense at all times. That's what we do here. At, I think it was Springdale High. I think that's where he was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why are they not doing that? And then uh, he was asked, the, the last thing he asked here, why – do you have the ability to do that at this time? 
Uh, you know, we uh, sometimes we were efficient. Um, you know, there was a couple things. I mean, obviously, first of all, you know, you, you got to give those guys credit. I mean, they're they're the number one rush defense in our league for a reason. But at the same time, there were some opportunities there, and, um, and I thought at times we were efficient. Going into that game, did you think you'd throw it 59? No, no, I didn't. Um, you know, but if you look how a game unfolds, I think we were close through the first three quarters. I think we were close to 50-50. We may have thrown it a few more times and run it through. The th- and, and we really win the game knowing, knowing we had to be balanced. And when you're playing a talented defense, you need to be balanced. And we talked about that even last Tuesday. But, you know, you get in the fourth quarter and you're down by 21 points. And I think we threw it 20 times. And I think we ran it 10 times in the fourth quarter. But, you know, to answer your question, I didn't think we would we would throw it 50 times. Um, but uh, the way the game unfolded, that's what that's what we need to do in the fourth quarter. It, well, I, I say this, uh, you know, it shows me that we do have the ability to, uh, you know, through the air to do some things. Uh, but like I said, you're playing the, the top teams, you're going to need to be bounced. So we're going to need to be both. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, we're going to move forward and run, you know, throw it 50 times. But, um, you know, for us to be the best we can be, uh, we need to be bounced. And we need to be able to take what the defense gives you and, and uh so that's probably the best way to answer that. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, uh, we had some success doing some things. There are some things that we can carry over. But the bottom line is you get that first first down. It's, it's as simple as that. You get the first first down and you get the momentum and we get to playing fast. That's traditionally when we're at our best. We were able to do that. So the urgency part, I, mean, I think we were pretty urgent the whole game is just a matter of fact, we didn't have that many opportunities to get in that rhythm as far as that. But at the same time, I think there's something to be said about them getting worn down, too. You broke into the night. You know, I think the best way to answer that is every game is different. Every situation is different. All right, Shane. So right there, he, Gus Malzahn, you heard it there himself. They do not have the ability to run that two-minute offense at all times, according to Gus Malzahn. And... I think he's being, you know, he's choosing his words very carefully, but I'll interpret it for you, Shane. And once again, I don't want Auburn people to start coming after me based on what I'm about to say here. But I think if you read between the lines what Gus Malzahn is saying, but he's not going to outright say it, is I don't think his quarterback, true freshman Bo Nix, for whatever reason, is not capable of doing this at this time. And I think that's a little bit to be, you know, understood because he's just a true freshman. He's he's going from, you know, I'm sure he played at an elite high school level. I know that. But now this is just a completely different animal here. And Bo Nix does seem to play really well in this this thing. But for whatever reason, I, I'm i thinking Gus Malzahn is just doesn't trust him to do it at all times. And we saw with the game on the line, you know, he had that bad pass to I believe it was Joiner that was behind him and mm-hmm. man that was that was just the backbreaker of, of that game. So I'm not like I said, I'm not trying to put it all on Bo Nix. I think it's unfair to ask a true freshman to carry any team. It's uh, we, we said it on our Sunday show. You can't ask this kid to throw it fifty times and beat Georgia, who may be the best defense in the nation. So uh, thoughts on all that, Shane, and do you agree with me or disagree with me there? No, I think that's an interesting take. I think it makes sense, you know. The, you know, it's a good excuse, but you know, this 
there's I don't know I, I you know I've not I've never been a part of a two minute offense and I've, I'm sure that there's a handful of scripted plays you know that he's got on you know that that like their go to when they get into a two minute offense so maybe you're right maybe Gus is just not able to open up the book on that and probably shouldn't you know to be honest with you this late in the season he's probably right it, it probably doesn't need but this is something that you can kind of look at moving forward, you know, like going into next season, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Bo continues to grow, maybe so does this offense, you know, and, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, look at him, man. You know, he, he was able to put together that, um, this amazing season over one summer. So that does kind of make you wonder if, if, if Joe's able to implement an entire new offense, and run it as good as he's doing now, you know, I know Bo's a few years younger and has less time in, in games and probably the little things he's not able to pick up just as quick, but we're talking the entire playbook. You know what I'm saying? It just feels like Bo should have been a little bit further along uh, by this time. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of back and forth on this one. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, last thing I got before we hop off here, just a quick note here. Uh, this happened, I believe, late Monday evening. But uh, Alabama freshman corner Scooby Carter announced mm-hmm. he's entered the NCAA transfer portal. And this is a kid from Texas, a former top 100 recruit, a former Texas A&M commit. A lot of speculation that he could be headed to join Jimbo's team there. So, I mean, any time Jimbo Fisher can hurt Alabama and get, gain a piece, it. yeah, he'll take it. But I uh, just wanted to make that note, Alabama losing, you know, an elite recruit from a – he's a true freshman, so he's only been there a little while. But I just wanted to make that note. Okay. Noted. All right, Shane, you got anything before we hop off here? Nope. That's it, buddy. Uh, appreciate everybody hanging out with us. And, um, you know, those rating reviews really help us out. And, I, man, I'll tell you what, we, we got some bad games this weekend, but I'm hoping to still see those koozies at a few of these ball games. Yes, sir. And I, I wanted to make a note on that, Shen. We're down to only two orange koozies. So Uh-oh. if you want an orange koozie, you better hit us up quick because we're, we're almost out. We still got uh, all the other options. We got purple, maroon, crimson, black, blue. Uh, so if you want one of those, obviously hit us up and uh, hit us up at uh, podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on the Twitters or Reddit, and uh, we'll be happy to send one your way. Now that's going to do it, Shane. Thanks for joining me. As always, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.